Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, January 21st. I'm Wayne Pratt. Illinois' first year of legal marijuana sales was largely successful after a few initial hurdles. But some say the state failed when it comes to dispensary licenses meant to benefit communities of color. They were talking about investing back into neighborhoods that were greatly affected by war on drugs. They kept emphasizing equity and diversity. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt examines Illinois' first year of legal recreational cannabis sales. We'll have that story in just a few minutes. Missouri Governor Mike Parson is activating the National Guard to help more people get the coronavirus vaccine. St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll has more on the plan for mass vaccination sites. Parson says there will be nine National Guard teams spread throughout the state with the ability to give up to 2,500 vaccines per day. We will be starting in southeast Missouri. We will have a setup this weekend to make sure we run all the traps, to make sure everything's going well as we expand into the weeks to come. They won't likely give any vaccines until the end of the month. And Missouri, like much of the U.S., has a serious shortage of doses. But Parson says he expects the supply to ramp up shortly. This week, Missouri is allowing people 65 and older and those with certain underlying health conditions to get the vaccine. That's an additional 2.5 million people, but the state only received about 80,000 doses. In Jefferson City, I'm Jacqueline Driscoll, St. Louis Public Radio. And as Jacqueline was mentioning, that plan for mass vaccination sites comes as irregular shipments of the vaccine to hospitals in the St. Louis region are making it difficult for health systems to give shots to patients. The head of the St. Louis Metropolitan Task Force says hospitals only learn the number of doses coming from the federal government a day or two in advance. Dr. Alex Garza says that hinders the logistics of scheduling and staffing vaccination appointments. Yeah, so as you can imagine, any time that you don't have consistency in uh, delivery of any material, it makes it really hard to do operations on the back end. Doctors hope they will receive more regular shipments as drug companies ramp up vaccine manufacturing in the coming months. President Joe Biden has signed an executive order to end the Trump administration's so-called Muslim ban. The travel restrictions affected people entering the U.S. from Muslim-majority and African countries. This executive order upholds a promise Biden made on the campaign trail. CARE Missouri Associate Executive Director Marwan Hamid says that order was a long time coming. All Muslims are happy to see the end of this uh, travel ban. They're uh, very hopeful uh, to see their loved one uh, very soon in the United States, either to visit them or to uh, reunite as a family. It's among several executive orders Biden has signed during his first day in office, including a stop on border wall construction. A controversial former chief justice of the Illinois Supreme Court has died. James Heipel was 87. As Sean Crawford reports, Heipel wrote a unanimous court opinion in what became known as the Baby Richard case. 
The biological father of a three-year-old boy sued for custody after learning the mother put the child up for adoption without his knowledge. That decision resulted in the boy being taken away from his adoptive parents, with the moment captured on camera as the child cried and reached out for the only mother he knew. Heipel was blasted in the press and in political circles, but in a 1999 interview he maintained the law was clear. You might pick up a child out of a grocery cart at the supermarket that doesn't belong to you, take the child home, keep the child, you may have a wonderful home. That doesn't give you a right to keep the child. Heipel faced other scrutiny, including an allegation he tried to use his position to avoid traffic tickets. He was censured in 1997 and resigned as Chief Justice, but finished his term on the court in 2000. I'm Sean Crawford. At the beginning of last year, Illinois became the country's 11th state to allow the sale of legal recreational marijuana. The industry has boomed, but the rollout has not been flawless. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports Illinois overcame initial glitches but still has to live up to promises around racial equity. The first weeks of recreational cannabis sales in Illinois were rocky, to say the least. Eager customers swarmed dispensaries, causing long lines and headaches for surrounding businesses. The dispensaries struggled to keep products in stock, experiencing regular shortages. But those initial kinks have largely resolved, says Bethany Gomez, managing director at Brightfield Group, which tracks the cannabis industry nationally. Yeah, there's still some challenges in place, but it's a, a generally functional market at this point with a, a pretty robust selection of products. Gomez says it's impressive, considering Illinois opened its recreational cannabis market only seven months after the state legalized sales. Illinois' move meant the state immediately saw significant new tax revenue. In 2020, dispensaries sold some $700 million worth of marijuana, and the state and municipalities collected more than $170 million in taxes from those purchases. Gomez says other states, especially ones east of the Mississippi, see Illinois as a potential model. How quickly Illinois was able to open their doors, open up a recreational market, um, get taxation revenue in the door, that is a really compelling value proposition for those other states, particularly looking at New York. But Illinois' young marijuana industry also faces criticism. Most of the organizations benefiting from the first year of legal sales are established cannabis companies with footprints in other states. And Illinois has yet to deliver on its pledge to diversify an industry that's overwhelmingly white and male and rectify the damage from marijuana criminalization. Gomez says these commitments drew nationwide attention. It is important for Illinois to make good on those promises because the social equity piece is one of the key differentiators. The state intends to reach its goals in part by prioritizing applications for cannabis business licenses from people and communities that were harmed by the failed war on drugs. But many of these applicants, who are mostly from black and brown communities, feel betrayed by state officials. It was a bait and switch. Dr. Lawrence Hatchett, who's black, applied for 10 dispensary licenses with his group, Cannabis. They didn't win any. They were talking about investing back into neighborhoods that were greatly affected by war on drugs. They kept emphasizing equity and diversity. The Marion urologist says the 21 initial finalists for the state's first round of dispensary licenses weren't diverse, and that some had opportunities to fix flaws in their applications. The state hasn't awarded any new dispensary licenses and is now allowing all applicants the chance to improve their submissions and be rescored. 
but Hatchet isn't optimistic. Do I think this chance to correct your deficiencies is going to change anything? Absolutely not. State officials say the delay will produce more minority owners. Outside consultants also took notice. Avis Bobulian is the CEO of Siva Enterprises, a Los Angeles-based firm that's helped win cannabis licenses in other states with competitive merit-based programs. You're always going to end up with groups that come up short. Um, it's the nature of the process. Here, there's just a lot of questions that remain unanswered. Bobulian advised an Illinois group that wasn't among the initial finalists. He says the state made a mistake when it relied on veteran ownership to distinguish among the top-scoring dispensary applicants. When you look at what the intent of the act was, it was to benefit groups that are disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. With a veteran dynamic in this, they just don't qualify in that disenfranchised demographic profile. Kareem Kenyatta co-founded the Majority Minority Group, which guided some non-white candidates through the application process. He says many minority applicants expected their backgrounds would mean more. People were under the impression that and, you know, if they had a genuine story about being a social equity applicant, they thought that was going to count for more. Kenyatta says the state is quickly running out of time to make good on its promises to establish cannabis businesses owned by people of color. If we don't get real social equity applicants that become owner-operators, I do think there would be a lot of skepticism and a lot of faith in the program will be lost. And not just locally. Kenyatta says states across the country are watching to see if Illinois increases minority ownership in 2021. I'm Eric Schmidt, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.